A close friend of mine, let's call him Danger, once spent an entire week without using clocks. His work situation was just forgiving enough that nothing was going to go disastrously wrong if he showed up late or at the wrong time. And he had not yet taken on family obligations. So he managed to get through an entire week where every clock in his life was taped over or hidden. Now, for most of us, that sounds crazy. But Danger had recently been posed the question of how much of our cultural desire to know the time was useful and how much was just an addiction to some bit of knowledge that didn't actually help us. Something that made us feel better prepared, but didn't make us any wiser. And Danger realized that he could never answer this question theoretically. He actually had to live without time in order to figure out what he would gain and what he would lose. We might refer to this approach as immersive learning. Many of us experience immersive learning when we visit or live in a foreign country. The things we learn in the first week are far richer and more interesting than anything we could pick up in a travel book, because being surrounded by the reality confronts us with questions we never even knew we had and encounters we did not think were possible. Well, more and more, I have, been, I have been trying to adopt this immersive learning approach for my Catholic faith. A quick aside to explain why. When Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris burned, I cried. I cried for a multitude of reasons, but a big one was because I knew that we could never rebuild it in the same way. The people who built Notre Dame were immersed in Catholicism. They lived and breathed the Catholic faith, and because Catholicism was the lens through which they experienced the world, they expressed their faith in profound ways that may even have been subconscious. Every stone, every beam, Every proportion and decision and layout of Notre Dame was infused with Catholicism because every person working on that cathedral had been surrounded by Catholicism for their entire life. Today, in this country, this is not possible, and our churches reflect it. When Assumption was built a century ago, it was built by people who were not immersed in Catholicism, but who were immersed in architecture that itself had been immersed in Catholicism. So we were at least able to mimic the genius of the European cathedrals. We got most things right. Today, with the societal desire to malign the past, in favor of a supposedly ever-improving future, it is impossible to recover the Catholic genius that emerged from a thoroughly Catholic culture. And yet, I still deeply want to recover some of this Catholic genius, and that is why I am so dedicated to an immersive Catholicism.
the genius of the church, the deep and profound reflections on scripture and tradition that ended up being lived out in daily lives, are still enshrined in the laws, the rubrics, and the morals of the church. I steadfastly believe that if I exhaustively try to live out the recommendations of the church, I may be able to glimpse just a slice of the wisdom that the church has stored up throughout her 2,000-year reflection on God and humanity. A small example of this is that I try to celebrate Mass every day on an altar, even on my day off, even on vacation. This is a strong recommendation of the Church, but is incredibly difficult to do. When traveling in the diocese, it requires showing up at some other church's sacristy and, with the best puppy dog eyes I can muster, asking to con-celebrate that Mass. When traveling outside of the diocese, I actually have to do research, call ahead, and send letters from my bishop to make sure I have a place to celebrate Mass every day. This, by the way, is how I was able to celebrate Mass at Notre Dame Cathedral before it burned. Other priests avoid this headache by simply attending Mass, not celebrating it, or by celebrating Mass on a dresser or a dining room table. But I have found that by putting in the extra effort and trying my best to live out the recommendations of the Church, even when it's hard, I have grown significantly in my reverence for the Mass and my appreciation for my priesthood. Rather than having my love of the Mass fade along with the novelty of ordination, it has grown thanks to the wisdom of the Church. Now, As hard as I think it is to celebrate Mass on an altar when I'm on vacation, applying immersive Catholicism to Advent is oh so much harder. Here's the thing about Advent. It is a time of waiting, of watching, of wondering. It is a time of preparation, not celebration. So you will see no Christmas decorations and you will hear no Christmas hymns at Assumption until December 24th at 5 p.m., though logistics require that we put up some decorations before. Small print. The Church also asks us to treat this as a simple season, so we simplify our music and we simplify our decoration. Well, immersive Catholicism means applying these principles to my own life as well. Which means that personally, I do not do anything Christmassy until Christmas Eve. I add a day of fasting each week, and I generally try to focus on preparation. And I have to say, I absolutely hate it. For one thing, it's incredibly hard because our society has front-loaded Christmas. All the parties, all the concerts, all the decorations and celebrations and everything else happens in December. I find myself dodging festive concerts, turning off the radio, and trying to stay out of stores and shopping centers. It is super easy to find opportunities for joy and good cheer 
right up until the day where I am ready to participate. For another thing, trying to immerse myself in Advent is an incredibly lonely experience, since even in the church, only an extreme minority of people reserves Christmas for Christmas and Advent for Advent. All of the nostalgia and cultural traditions are now generally lost to me. For all of December, I feel almost like a man without a country. But, as hard as it is, I can also say that the desired fruits of immersing myself in Advent are there, and only increase every year. First, I have found my heart deeply aligned with the desires and prayers of the Church. The Advent prayers are beautiful and rich, and they are all anticipatory. There is a profound longing expressed in the readings and collects at antiphons, and when I celebrate my daily Mass or the Liturgy of the Hours, I feel that longing, and I can pray along with the Church in a beautiful way. Advent, by the way, offers up two longings. The first longing is the longing for the second coming, a longing expressed during the first half of Advent. This is why our readings today have very little to do with baby Jesus and everything to do with the final judgment. But the Church masterfully uses this longing for the eschaton to engender in us empathy for the longing that the Jews had for the coming of the Messiah. And we imperceptibly shift toward that longing in the second half of Advent. The second thing I have learned by immersing myself in Advent is that Advent is a powerful antidote for the commercial corruption of Christmas. For so many of us, Advent is marked by so much stress, by such a frenzy of activity, that Christmas comes more as a relief than a celebration. But by entering into a period of waiting and watching and longing, I have found that I appreciate the celebration and all of the family and friends events surrounding it that much more. By having a pseudo-penitential season first, my heart, soul, and mind are truly prepared to welcome Jesus into the world. It's the same reason that most of us skip lunch before having Thanksgiving dinner. Of course, this anti-stress Advent does require a different approach to gift-giving. Praise God, in the last few years, my family and friends have all mutually agreed to end gift exchanges in favor of going to a show or some other event together in January or February. I know other families who have transferred their gift exchanges to the Epiphany. Either way, gift-giving is always the hardest thing in celebrating Advent. My friends, I am not telling you this because I think all of you should adopt my personal Advent practices. Every family and every person is different, and it took me many years to decide that this is how I wanted to live my life. My point here is simply to give you an alternative perspective, something to think and to pray about, something that's a little different than what the society is offering. What would it look like if we went a week without clocks? 
What would it look like if we tried to keep Advent for Advent and Christmas for Christmas? Both sound like crazy, impossible things to do. But for some of us, some of the time, God calls us to be crazy. In any case, the Lord is coming at an hour that we do not expect. And each of us must decide for ourselves how we will prepare for it.